Hey, everybody. It's Allie. And welcome to our YNR chat for Sunday, March 17th, 2013. So, Dylan is Chelsea's dupe. He's her mark. He's her new baby daddy. I'm so disappointed. As soon as Dylan and Chelsea started interacting this week, I was like, oh, Lord, no, don't let it be. (laughs) He's such a nice guy, and he doesn't deserve what's about to befall him. Chelsea's at the coffee house, and her car breaks down. She's got a dead battery or something, and Dylan, always the gentleman, always ready to help a lady, jumps in, and he's ready to help her out, but, like, Chelsea has her car is broke down and she's broken down too so she starts opening up to him and telling her all of the things that are upsetting her and so he gives her a jump in more ways than one and in return he starts opening up to her a little bit too his father has just recently died and they are being sort of um, sadness buddies at the athletic club, Dylan has one too many beers, which led them to his hotel room. By the way, Dylan upgraded his hotel room. Do you remember that when he came into town, he was staying in this really dingy place? And now it's very plush. (laughs) It's got kind of a gold color comforter and pillows and much chicer black and white photos on the wall. (laughs) He must have decided to upgrade his hotel room with that Sharon Newman uh, renovation money. But it, it was it was much nicer than seeing those dingy hotel rooms that Genoa City has. So, the love scene. What did you guys think about it? Because it was nice to see Dylan shirtless. He has a lot of muscle. I didn't even realize <laughs> how much muscle he has going on under there. But it was nice to see that Chelsea was just looking up at him like a pregnant cat in heat, just ready to lap up that milk. (laughs) She yanked him down on top of her, and they start going at it. Uh, With no condom, Dylan, really, because if, if the stars are aligning the way I assume they are for Chelsea, and she's going to now trick Dylan into thinking that she's the father, he's the father of her baby, then that would have to mean that they had unprotected sex, which Dylan should have known better than to have unprotected sex with a stranger. Men know better, if for no other reason than for unplanned pregnancies. You don't just go having raw sex with a girl you just met today. No matter how nice she seems, men ask questions, and I'm surprised that he did not. So it's going to be bad on him. He's going to regret that so much because in the other arena, in Chelsea's camp, Chloe is there pushing Chelsea to essentially do exactly what Chloe did with Delia. Chloe tricked Kane into thinking that he was the father of Delia so that she didn't have to deal 
with Billy. And now Chloe is coaching Chelsea to go out and find her own mark, which <clears throat> Chloe is adorable. Chloe was just adorbs this week. She's like a tiny little china doll. She's so small. There was a scene where she was standing behind the counter at Crimson Lights, and I don't think I've ever realized how just tiny she is. I just want to, like, scoop her up and put her on my shelf and just look at her. <laughs> I just like, I like Chloe, but tricking a guy into thinking that he's the father of your baby is wrong on so many levels. And it took me a while to forgive Chloe for all of that. She was not a favorite character of mine for a while. It's taken years for her to get back into my good graces, which she is now. And I just don't know if Chelsea has that capability. I hope that she is not going to do that to Dylan. And I'm curious to know what you guys think about this because it did seem like Chelsea had a good time with Dylan and that Dylan had a good time with her. There seemed to be a comfort inside of the discomfort between them, which made me wonder if Chelsea is not going to take that route, if she's going to feel too bad to do it. And there was also almost, a, a, I wondered a little bit about whether or not she realized what she was doing. Do you guys think that this was all a conscious effort on Chelsea's part? That is my question to you. Did she set out to get Dylan into bed to, you know, create this grand plan to keep Adam from knowing his child? Or was it just sort of random sex and then afterwards she realized it? I just don't see how she would not be able to realize what she was doing because Chloe had mentioned this whole thing before, like weeks ago, they had been kind of plotting about finding her a fake baby daddy weeks ago. So this had to be in her head, no matter how innocent she sort of looked afterwards. <clears throat> it's it's too bad because I think that Chelsea is unlikable anyway. And if she does this to Dylan, it's really going to ruin her character even more. Because Y&R has spent so much time making us love Dylan and making us feel sympathetic for him. The Avery stuff, the his whole PTSD thing, uh, he, he, the whatever's, you know, going on with his father and the business and all that. There's and, and, and being tender with Faith. There's so many reasons to like Dylan and just a tiny little maybe a sliver of a reason to like Chelsea, which I'm ready to throw out the window if she's going to do this to him. <sighs> Chelsea is afraid of Adam. That's kind of the essence that I am getting this week. She had a nightmare that Adam found out that she was pregnant, figured it out, came to her hotel room, and <laughs> kind of ridiculous, but told her that she's going to have to move back into the house, even though Sharon is there too, and Adam is going to raise the child, and there was an implication that, you know, Adam might take the child away from Chelsea or something. She had a little bit of what I think is an irrational fear. I, I you know, if Adam and Chelsea wanted to be together, they could so easily be together. I can understand why she doesn't want that life for herself, considering Adam is still in love with Sharon, but I, oh, I, I just don't know. I think that this whole plan of hers is going to work. I think she is 
poised to take advantage of Dylan because of her fear of Adam, founded or not. And it's Adam saw Chelsea and Dylan at the bar together when they were being all giggly giggly. So when it turns up that she's pregnant, Adam will probably fall for it. Congressman Wheeler is such a puke. He's having these cryptic conversations with some goon-looking guy at some sort of event that's going to be taking place at Nikki and Victor's wedding. I don't know what he's planning to do, but he better not ruin the wedding, and he better not plant a bomb or something and blow up the ranch right after it's just recently been rebuilt. So Avery's apartment was tossed this week. She came home and papers were everywhere, strewn about, and she found an American flag pin amongst the, the, the mess. One of those little lapel pins that politicians tend to wear. And I don't, I, so I, it, it's kind of an obvious signal that Congressman Wheeler was the one that tossed her apartment. I don't know if it's too obvious. Part of me thinks, well, that's just too convenient. I don't know. Maybe I'm just suspicious. But the trial date for Gus, I can't remember his last name, Gus something, it's escaping me right now, but Leslie's father, his his trial date is next week. And it's, it's danger on all levels because... Avery is in danger as well, and she's had her brakes cut, she's had her apartment broken into, Nick's got security with her right now, but it's clear that a signal is being sent to her, someone doesn't want this guy to get out of jail, and Avery is really, really persisting, and now Leslie is starting to open up to her father a little bit. She, well, first of all, she gets a phone call from him out of the blue. She's lying in bed with Neil. I mean, she was ready to leave town. Neil convinced her to stay. She's lying in bed with him and she gets a phone call and she picks it up and realizes it's her father's voice on the other line. It was Wheeler. It had to be Wheeler. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if it's just too convenient to blame everything on the obvious bad guy, but somebody slipped Gus a note and told him where Leslie was, what her new name was, and she naturally didn't want to have anything to do with him. She wanted to run away. That's what they, her and Tyler have been doing their entire lives. But Neil convinces her to go to the jail and see him, and she... was really reticent about the whole thing. She saw her father standing over her mother's body. She's believed pretty much her entire life that her father killed her mother. And now outside forces are, are pushing her to go see him finally. And they do come face to face. And I thought that the dad, the guy that plays the dad, looked very familiar, but I can't place my finger on it. Does anybody know where I would know him from? I, I, I'm not sure. If you know, definitely leave me a comment because I can't piece it together. But <clears throat> the dad tells his story. He doesn't push on Leslie, but he does. He's clearly a broken man, and he tries to 
explain the events from his perspective and Leslie reluctantly listens to his story and she knew going into it that she would be able to look in his eyes and tell whether or not he was telling the truth and I think much to her amazement she realized that he he was telling the truth that he didn't actually kill her mother and I'm not sure if Gus is going or I don't know if uh, Leslie is going to end up uh, testifying, retestifying at the trial that's supposed to happen next week. Who knows? Maybe Gus will end up getting blown up or killed, or I'm not sure. Um, but he did, in telling his story, reveal that Leslie's mom was having an affair. And the night that she died, Gus had found out about it, and he was angry, obviously, for good reason, and upset. And But his uh, story was that he didn't kill her. And when Leslie walked in, saw him standing over the mother, he was trying to revive her. She was saying, stop, stop. But it was his recollection or his story that she was telling him to stop whoever it was that did this. So like, is it, I guess my question for you, is is it just too predictable to, that it's all Wheeler all around? That Wheeler, Congressman Wheeler, was the one that had the affair with the, the mother, is the Leslie's mother. Is it too predictable that he killed her? That he's the one trashing Avery's apartment? I, 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 is it? I don't know. I am curious to know what you guys have to think about it. I mean, I. I just hope that Leslie's dad gets out of jail and can maybe provide some kind of evidence that will put Congressman Wheeler away and get him off my screen. YNR blew me away this week as they replaced the opening scenes with a series of character profiles. So they did these interviews with the actors talking about their characters and it led in to the opening music and the opening credits beautifully, perfectly. They did a profile of Jack and then Adam and then Phyllis and Neil. And it absolutely, I need a moment after I watched it. They transitioned it perfectly. It was to celebrate Wyanair's 40-year anniversary. They, you know, did these interviews and they even transitioned it beautifully into the credits so that whoever they interviewed was the first person in the credits. It was genius. And it was such a nice break because I'm someone who doesn't seek out interviews and all that stuff. I watch the show, I feel the show, uh, and that's it. I'm not obsessed with the actors in any way. So it was really such a great treat to hear from the actors talking about their characters. And the first one I wanted to discuss was Adam. Uh, Michael Mooney is giving this you know interview to the camera and he's talking about Adam's character and the dichotomy therein because Adam is part Victor and part hope. So he's part good and part bad. He's and and he's gone through different phases in his life where he's bad and good and and he is truly Victor 2.0 in a way that none of Victor's other children really are. And they showed 
these just really great scenes of right when Michael Mooney first came on the show, they had recreated the um, the Hope's deathbed scene, which was originally took place with another actor, but they went back and re-recorded that, and they just showed a lot of the interactions that had happened, happened between Victor and Adam and what brought them to this place, and they even recapped the dramatic scene at the condo a couple of weeks ago when Adam tried to offer Victor the company, and Adam talked also, or I'm sorry, Michael Mooney talked also about Adam's relationship with Sharon and how it he called it both tragic and toxic. And I think that's so true. And that's what has made it so appealing to me, I think. It's, again, a good part, one good part, one bad part. And it swirls together in these shades of gray that are just so beautiful and that really make a wonderful, well-rounded, full character. And even he even talked about Adam's relationship with Jack and how they are just kind of simpatico that they have they both have these bendable morals like their morals are able to bend in the same ways and and it that was something I really hadn't thought about before and because there was a lot of ways where I didn't entirely understand Adam's relationship with Jack and hearing Michael Mooney talk about it really opened my eyes up to it quite a lot more um and they even showed oh my gosh this brief brief moment of sexiness that happened between Adam and Phyllis when they were trying to prove Sharon's innocence they were off looking for the memory card I think they were in Thailand I want to say but like it was actually it was during that time um and they had this little moment at the athletic club in the foyer where he tried to kiss her and she pulled away and it was I couldn't believe like how hot it was even just seeing it in this little tiny moment and it made me wonder why didn't YNR ever hook up Adam and Phyllis can you even imagine Adam and Phyllis they're almost too hot to be together like individually there's so much intensity and putting them together would be like but it would be interesting to watch and I forgot about that so it was ooh, it was a, it was a good uh, flashback and also just a really good insight into the character and um, a nice break from the show as well so Adam this week has has fully realized that Victor hired Stephanie Congressman Wheeler's daughter to you know, to get hook up with Jack, and then he was, like, going to take some media photos, whatever. Adam knows Victor was behind the whole thing with Stephanie, and Adam is not dropping it. He stops by the ranch to give Victor a wedding gift, and it's a framed newspaper clipping of, like, dead hooker found in an alley. What, like, what? essentially, Adam is trying to indicate to Victor, I know that you were behind this, but, like, uh, why would you even force that issue, Adam? Adam's hands are way dirtier than Victor's. So why is Adam even pushing that? It was it was so funny, though, that Victor got the gift, and he came over to Adam's house to return it, and Adam picked it up, looked at the framed newspaper clipping, and he said something like, oh, somebody else get you the same thing? <laughs> like, that's why he was returning it. Ah, that was funny. That was classic Michael Mooney, and um, just adorable. <laughs> but... So I don't know why Adam would even poke the bear in that in a situation where he has way more to lose 
But Adam had his private eye find out that Victor's private eye has a witness that saw Adam dumping the body in the alley. Are these two guys two peas in a pod or what? Are they father and son or what? They have their, like, battling private eyes even. It's so ridiculous. But now we know that Victor has found some evidence that Adam was certainly connected to that crime, moving the body, and that Victor is about to dump it on Adam, about to blow the whole thing up after his wedding. So Victor's going to essentially try to blackmail Adam out of Newman by having this witness on hand and threatening to have the witness come forward. And Adam vows to stop that. He's not going to let it happen. But I don't know. Something tells me that this whole thing is not going to go down the way that we expect it to because Adam seems one part devious and two parts concerned about what's happening in this scenario. He keeps seeing Congressman Wheeler snaking around the scene. He knows something is up and he doesn't want to, but he confides in Sharon eventually and tells her everything that happened about the prostitute, about that he moved the body and that Victor knows and, you know, all of this stuff. And so there was just a moment where I really sensed that he was worried about Victor, that he was worried that the congressman was going to do something to Victor or that Victor was in somehow in harm's way. And I am wondering that if Adam is able to thwart whatever it is that Congressman Wheeler is planning to do, the event at the wedding, then maybe saving Victor's life will change their relationship or at least cause Victor to not want to blackmail him. Like, I am imagining this amazing scene of Adam carrying Victor in his arms out of a building, like, as it's exploding behind them. YNR has given us three sweet mini weddings for Nikki and Victor to make up for whatever is going to occur at the big one. I'm almost afraid to know what it's going to be. But I'm curious to know what what little mini wedding was your favorite? There have been three so far. First, there was one in the hospital last week with Abby dressed up as the priest. And then this week we had hospital wedding number two with the justice of the peace that presided over Kevin and Angelina's wedding. (laughs) Apparently she is related to one of the nurses in the hospital. And so they came on in and they were just like giving them this amazing grace wedding. The nurses in the background humming amazing grace and Victor is like clapping his hands like he's at a revival. (laughs) Kind of trying to sing along. (laughs) It was hilarious watching Victor try to adjust. (laughs) But it was cute and funny and it made Nikki happy and that's what made me happy. My only question is, why is Abby there for all of these weddings instead of Nick and Victoria? Probably because 
Abby's more fun. <laughs> That's why. Nick and Victoria are like giant sticks in the mud. And Abby brought a lot of levity to the situation. She was the one who <clears throat> initiated the third wedding. She brought <laughs> a yogi. Apparently that she, someone who she met in New York, she brought this yogi in to preside over the third hospital wedding. And the guy has long flowing gray hair and he's in the gown and he looks like one of the Benny Hunt. No, I don't know. What did you call it? The guys you see at the airport kind of um, <laughs> in the 80s. <laughs> at first, I actually thought, is that River? Is that Michael's dad? Because <laughs> when he came onto the scene, he was kind of... Yogi dressed very enlightened and it was funny because this was something that Victor was not into at all you could tell the moment this guy walked in Victor Mr. Clean Cut Suit uh, conservative guy was like what is this in fact he looked right at the yogi and just said I'll be damned <laughs> No, actually, that's the opposite. You'll be reincarnated. <laughs> uh, it was really, really funny. Like, Abby and the yogi and Nikki all had to practically twist Victor's arms to get him to put on these good luck beads. <laughs> he acted like he didn't even know how to put them on. He was like, what? How do I, I put these damn things around my neck? You know, like he's never seen a necklace before. You could tell. <laughs> it was really cute and endearing, I think. And they had this little ceremony where they read vows to each other. And it was, it was sweet. I'm glad that we're having these moments. And then following up the third mini wedding, the doctor comes in and tells Nikki that she's, fine that she's doing good um the doctor was really funny too it was a lot of they're putting a lot of you know yappity smackity do <laughs> into the Nikki and Victor storylines right now but it was good he was very it was was you know it, it was a relief to Nikki that she can go home and start her life again and all he suggested was like putting her on a holistic diet I don't know anything about MS but it's just weird that they brought it up in this such a severe way and then it kind of went away. She gets home and she does have another little pang uh, of uh, pain in her hand. But she says to herself, you know, no, I'm not going to fight through this. I'm, I'm going to marry Victor. This is she's fighting toward this. Um, and that's what we're moving to. We're moving toward the big wedding next week. Nick and Victoria are going to be involved in this one and they're planning, doing, getting the food and the catering and the guest list and all that stuff together. And it's there. Apparently Victoria is planning some big surprise. I don't know what that's going to be, but I did read that John McCook, who plays Eric on The Bold and the Beautiful, is going to be at the wedding or that he's coming to Genoa City for something, maybe just to drop off a gift. But you got to love a YNR B&B crossover. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to that. And my surprise, my wonderful surprise is that Ashley is going to be there. Yay! <laughs> Ashley's coming back for two days. We get her next week, I think, for the wedding and probably to talk with Jack and all that good stuff. I love and miss Ashley, and I can't wait to see her. It's going to be wonderful. I hope that the whole wedding is wonderful because whatever it is that's going to happen on the side with Congressman Wheeler and the big event, 
I just, all I care about is that there is big romance. I want tears, you guys, because this is going to be the last wedding for Nikki and Victor forever. Right? Right? Why is Abby acting like she and Carmine had some kind of deep relationship, some kind of mystical connection? She thwarted his attempt to kidnap Chloe by jumping into the trunk of his car and then dragging him into this ridiculous media stunt. She's just jealous because Carmine isn't paying attention to her anymore. So she's using Alex, which really ticks me off because he is in a vulnerable place right now. Plus, I, I'm sorry, but why does it seem like Alex and Abby are getting ready to hook up? Because I don't want that. I feel like there's no serious chemistry there. Why Wyanar always seems to blow it with the sexy guys. Alex... And Abby, I'm totally for their friendship, but they don't make any sense together. I don't know why YNR wants to always bring on a sexy new guy and then pair him with the wrong woman. I don't want Alex and Abby. I don't want Chelsea and uh, Dylan. It doesn't work for me whatsoever. And I've got some kind of bad news, you guys. I'm sure you all know about this, but I just found out that Marcy Ryland just came back as Abby is now leaving. Good for her. She got a role on some other soap. I don't know which one. I'm sorry. But they're recasting Abby pretty much as soon as she said she was only on recurring status. They got rid of her, brought her back as recurring. She gets another job at another soap. Good for her. But she's already been the role of Abby has already been recast. It's someone else, I think, from like that Hollywood Heights show or something that Jill Farron Phelps had worked on. Somebody I don't know. She's another blonde. And I still don't want her with Ab with Alex. Like, no, how do you recast Abby? That's going to be hard. Marcy Ryland is Abby. I mean, she has really, really brought a lot to that role. I can't see anybody else stepping in. And I don't know. May I, I doubt that no even whoever they cast, I'm still not going to want whoever it is with Alex. I just, I'm hoping that the Abby-Alex thing is just a sidetrack because... Alex is in a desperate place right now. He needs a job. And this week, surprise, surprise, Paul gets promoted to the to the chief of the Genoa City Police. <laughs> Paul, not a cop at all. Never has been a cop ever. <laughs> Probably has no police training. He's a private detective, which is a totally different thing. I mean, Paul's dad was the chief of police in Genoa City way back in the day, but I don't know if just because your dad's the chief of police means that you can be the chief of police. But I mean, can you imagine how many like really great officers they skipped right over to offer this job to this outside detective guy who's not trained as a police officer? <laughs> I'm just ragging on it. I'm glad for Paul. It's it, it's fine. Fine. Whatever. We, we, Paul's good people in my book. So if he wants to do that, that's all good. And his first decision was to hire Alex onto the GCPD. And it was a funny little scene between them. It was tense. Alex right away was like kind of giving Paul the blow off. And Paul was like, I'm the new chief of police, dude. And you hired, as a matter of fact. So <laughs> it was really cute. I'm glad 
that Alex has got a job now, even though I'm not a fan of the cop storylines. They're better than the medical storylines, but oh, <laughs> we'll see. Anything that keeps Alex occupied and possibly away from Abby is good for me. Um, and there was this brief little scene this week between Alex and Chloe. Thank you, YNR. Thank you. That's where I'm wanting to see this headed. Alex comes into the coffee house and they decide that there's so much tension between them. They've gotten off on a bad foot. They need a fresh start. So they introduce each other. He's Alejandro and she's Chloe. It was just a really funny, funny short moment between them. And I feel like Alex and Chloe are the couple that needs to happen. I mean, YNR is breaking up long-standing couples that work. Michael and Lauren, Lily and Kane. And yet, Chloe and Kevin are still together. They are the boringest couple on the face of the show. Why? Break them up. Get Michael and Lauren back together and break up Chloe and Kevin and get Alex in there to give Chloe what she's needing. I just feel like Alex is dark and mysterious and Chloe, you know, is someone who is also dark and naughty and I think they would complement each other really, really well. Plus, <laughs> we all know that Chloe likes cops and soldiers. <laughs> He's perfect for her. She is a bad girl and she needs to be dominated. I knew it wasn't over between Lauren and Carmine. That would have been too easy. At the end of last week's show, she told him, it's over. That was just, that was too easy. Someone mentioned to me this week, and I am praying that this is not true. You guys, please tell me that Lauren is not going to end up pregnant. She slept with Carmine and Michael in such a short time. If she turns up pregnant, I'm going to scream. Not only, I feel like Lauren's baby-making days need to be past. That's in the past. We need to find a more mature storyline for her. This is ridiculous. This type of, if it's a pregnancy thing, this type of thing should be happening with another character, not Lauren. It's ridiculous. And I just, I feel like, ew. <laughs> it's it's beneath her. I don't like it at all. I'm not interested. If, she, if she's pregnant, I'm going to be so completely disappointed. Ugh. She... Almost tells Phyllis this week what she has done. That she's had this affair with Carmine. She wants to tell somebody about it. I think she wants to talk about it. She wants to get it off her chest. But Lauren thinks better of it when she realizes that Phyllis and Michael are way too close. Phil, you know, Phyllis t encourages Lauren to open up to Michael, and Lauren's not about to do that. So she decides to keep this secret to herself. And she keeps running into Carmine, and it keeps being awkward. She goes to the club to get her stuff because she's moving home, and she runs into Carmine again. She tells him no again. He persists, and he keeps sending her these text messages, which she seems to be clinging on to, like it's the one happy thing in her life right now, not her amazing years-long marriage and incredible mature connection that she has with her husband. No, she's clinging on to the stupid text message from Carmine. I, the longer this goes on, the more it becomes difficult for me to understand where Lauren is coming from. 
if she really wanted to move on and put all this Carmine stuff behind her, she would never go to the athletic club again. She would stay away from him. And I hate the way that he's gotten into her head. That's what ticks me off about it. If Because if it was just a hot affair, then that would be one thing. But the guilt is palpable. You can see it in her eyes. You can read it on her face and her entire body. She feels guilty, yet compelled at the same time in a seedy, icky way. She wriggles away from Michael at every single opportunity she can, she can. She's living back at home, but she's not there. She's not all there mentally, physically, emotionally. She doesn't want to be anywhere around Michael. And I feel bad for Michael. I feel like Michael is the victim in all of this. <sighs> Michael needs to have her followed or something. Not that I want Michael to find out about the affair, but I just don't want him to be made a fool. And that's what he's looking like right now. He goes to the athletic club and he's standing at the bar waiting to get a drink while Carmine is, his cell phone is sitting on the bar. Carmine's nowhere to be found, but Carmine's cell phone is sitting on the bar and a text message is coming in from Lauren. Michael is standing there while his wife is texting to, to the bartender. It is humiliating for Michael and a larger issue. Why is she still texting him? The very first character profile that YNR did at the opening of the, the week of shows was Jack. And it was so incredible, you guys. It, it was just so unexpected. The first time I saw that character profile, like I, I could, I couldn't even believe what was happening. I'm like, is this just me? Is this am I? Was this a dream? <laughs> What's going on? But it was wonderful to hear Peter Bergman talk about the essence of Jack. It made me cry. Of all of the profiles, I feel like that was the most powerful one. I mean, hearing from his mouth. Hearing from Peter Bergman's mouth about who Jack is and why he is the way he is. And, he, you know, J Peter talked about Jack's feud with Victor and just about how Jack is has set himself up for being a lifetime loser to Victor. And they went back to that scene where Victor had the heart attack in his office and Jack walked by him and Peter Bergman accidentally kicked Victor's hand during that scene and it was caught on tape and it was so powerful. I remember that moment. Uh, Victor has this heart attack and Jack just walks right on by and kicks his hand by accident. But just a, what a great moment. And it's become one of the classic moments, just just detailing the hatred between them. But, you know, it, it wasn't all about that. Jack is, he has that capability for hatred toward Victor, but he also has infinite love for his family and you know Peter talked about Jack's family members and who each of them are and what each of them represent to him and it, it just it astonishes me at how fully realized Peter Bergman has made his character it, it was just touching and wonderful I I, I want to connect with Jack and because of Peter Bergman and I loved you know he talked about Ashley and I'm excited to see Ashley coming back and I mean the Abbott family has been whittled down so far and we see John 
And, and Peter talked about Jack's relationship with John and how John is everything that Jack has always wanted to be but never is. And, I, you know, it, Jack's family has been whittled down so far and there aren't very many of them left. So it was nice to hear him talking about his family as well as his relationships. He talked about his, his uh, marriage to Nikki and they spent quite a bit of time on Jack's relationship with Phyllis. They showed a scene, a Christmas scene, where Phyllis was like wrapped up in the, or she had her like on a robe or something and she was throwing open the robe and she was had on this lingerie that looked like a gift that Jack was ready to unwrap very sexy and it totally took me back to the early days of Phyllis and Jack when I loved them together they were such a great couple and I found it very interesting that Peter Bergman said you know Phyllis and Jack love each other, they have great, deep respect for one another, but they will eventually destroy each other. I thought that was odd, you know, foreshadowing. Why is it that Jack and Phyllis can't work out? Why do you think he said that? I mean, I I, I would love to feel hope for Jack and Phyllis, and I feel more connected to them this week. They, Ryan, are spent a lot of time focusing on their relationship, because last week, Jack had ordered a glass of wine at dinner, just very celebratory. He was happy, feeling good about himself and his recovery. Phyllis saw him and freaked out as if that was like all of a sudden Jack was going to be back on this road to addiction. But, you know, in Phyllis's defense, she has seen him at his very worst with his addiction and that that night when he was withdrawing and he was saying all these horrible things to her. So I understand where she's coming from, but she really internalized it. She felt like she was toxic and that she was going to be a bad influence on Jack. And she actually went to the coffee house and had this funny conversation with Kevin, very in an insecure place, which is odd for Phyllis, but she was asking Kevin what he would think if someone he knew dated her, you know, like trying to get an idea of how she is seen by the outside. And Kevin, oh Lord, he called her a romantic pit of despair, <laughs> which is very true. Phyllis is almost incapable, incapable of being happy. And maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's why Phyllis and Jack will eventually destroy each other because Phyllis had it all with Nick, and she destroyed it. Jack had had everything he could have ever wanted, and he always eventually destroys it. And I think Peter Bergman even said something like, you know, he ends up, he has everything, and he ends up destroying it while he's reaching for more. So they're both alike in that way. And hearing Peter Bergman talk about it, I think, has really helped me have a more well-rounded view of it. But I am hoping that Jack and Phyllis can find some happiness together. I, 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 I don't know. I, I, I feel like things are a little bit weird now after the whole pill incident. But Jack admitted this week that he feels like he's falling in love with Phyllis all over again. And she came to the realization that she really loves him too. So they came back together and decided to give the relationship a try. In fact, they are going on a little vacation together. I hope we get to see that. I want to see them in their hotel room, having some fun, seeing some sights, and reconnecting with each other. I, I don't know. I have hope for them. I, I 
wish. <laughs> I just wish. Um, we also saw a character profile of Phyllis, and it 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 is so wonderful to see Phyllis back when she first came onto the show. She looked so completely different, but man, they had her in some short skirts, and she was the temptress. And I mean, she came onto the show as a crazy person. Her relationship with Jack is what turned her out of that is what made her a human being in a way more than just a a one-dimensional bad girl you know I mean Jack really brought out the humanity in her she was obsessed with Danny and she was this temptress in a way that we really hadn't seen before I hadn't seen before and all of that blew up in her face. And I believe that Michelle Stafford wasn't on the show for a while after that. I think the stuff went down with Danny and Cricket, and she lost custody of Daniel. And I think Michelle Stafford was off the show for a while. It wasn't in, it wasn't at least for maybe a year, I think, that she came back onto the show, got involved with Jack, and then went from the relationship with Jack into this surprising twist relationship with Nick. And, you know, Michelle Stafford talked about how she wasn't expecting that whatsoever. She thought they're not going to pair Phyllis and Nick together and more so that they're not going to last. But it did. And it was it was an interesting storyline because it was part good and part bad. There was the naughtiness and the intrigue of a relationship with Nick and Phyllis, but he was married to Sharon at that time. And the best part of Michelle Stafford's interview was that she talked about how she believes that Phyllis doesn't hate Sharon, that she feels guilty about what happened to Sharon. And I think that's true. It put really the Sharon-Phyllis feud into a new perspective for me years later, but I never thought of it that way. And I really appreciated that she said that. The final character profile that we saw was of Neil, and it was really interesting to see Christophe St. John talking about how he first came onto the show and what his experience with Bill Bell was, and oh my gosh, looking at the flashbacks of Neil was such a trip because he looks completely different. He's almost not recognizable, but it was wonderful to see him talk about his relationship with Shamar Moore, who played Malcolm famously, and just, oh gosh, I miss those days. They showed scenes of Malcolm be bopping around the office, uh, Neil being this very staunch <clears throat> conservative guy, and Shamar was like very street and very hip-hop and very fun, and his adorable little haircut, and then later as he came back with his dreads and he was angry Malcolm, uh, and... I mean, the, they showed flashback scenes of Neil and Drew and their relationship and their love story. I miss Drew. Seeing those scenes made me miss Drew more. But those days are gone. I mean, it, it could never be the same. I, even if Drew came back, which, dang, it just doesn't ever seem like she will. I, I don't even know if it could ever be the same. So much has happened. Um, they talked about the paternity re revelation that Lily wasn't actually Neil's biological daughter and how that crushed him. Um, but that he, you know, accepted Lily as his daughter anyway and how he accepted Devon as well, even though that was hard for him at the time. And uh, Christoph talked about 
the different directions that the character has taken when he was drunk, when he was drinking all of the time. He had the beard. <laughs> he looked really, really scraggly. I hated that storyline. I oh, That was just horrible watching him go through that dark, dark place, especially when Neil is a character that is not dark, really hadn't characteristically been there. Neil has always been on top of his game. And Kristoff even talked about Neil's admiration for Victor and his career. And I just, I thought it was, it was wonderful, of course. I would love to see maybe a character profile of Lily because she's been on the show for quite a while too. Um, and I'd be interested to hear what Crystal Khalil's take on the relationship with Kane is as well, because this week Kane decides that he's not going to work with Chelsea anymore. It's causing problems in his marriage with Lily. So he goes to Chelsea and tells her he's not going to work with her anymore and that it's, he's going to pass her off to Neil being her direct uh, contact at Jibot. And Lily is very touched by this. She realizes this is a you know sacrifice. She feels relieved. And in return, she decides that she's going to stop working with Tyler. So for now, Lily and Kane have both managed to remove the cause of their problems, but, sorry, not the symptom. Okay, my podcast friends, that is gonna take me to the end of our YNR chat for this week. I am so looking forward to Nikki and Victor's wedding next week. It should be explosive. It's probably going to be equal parts, tears, and drama. <laughs> and that's exactly what I like. I'm also looking forward to seeing Eric crossing over onto YNR from The Bold and the Beautiful. I am watching The Bold and the Beautiful still. I'm behind. I'm probably maybe a over a little over a week behind on The Bold and the Beautiful, but I am I have picked it up and I am enjoying it. I I've been less enjoying it though since the Steffi pregnancy thing. Blah. <laughs> just in case anyone out there is watching Bold and the Beautiful as well, I just want to go on record as saying I don't like Steffi. <laughs> I'm a hope girl. <laughs> and that's that. So what are your thoughts about this week's show? You can leave me a comment about YNR or Bold and the Beautiful. Well, no, don't tell me Bold and the Beautiful because I'm not caught up yet. <laughs> and I don't like spoilers. I like to be fresh for the show. You know, it's like I talked about earlier. I don't seek out interviews from the actors. I don't like spoilers. I just enjoy the show in the moment. And that's all. That's just who I am. I'm, I want to be along for the ride every step of the way. <laughs> but it really, really helps give me a more well-rounded perspective when I hear from you guys. Um, it does it truly enrich my experience. I mean, you guys plant little seeds in my head that I never would have thought of. So if you want to go ahead and leave me a comment, please feel free. There's a couple different ways, as I'm sure you know by now. You can call in and leave me a voicemail if you'd like. The telephone number is area code 309-588-4569. That's within the U.S., so it's country code 1. Um, or you can go to my blog 
there is a posting for this week's podcast and video. And if you scroll to it, there's a comment section you can leave there. Um, the blog address is yrchatblog.blogspot.com. Or you can please feel free to just send me a direct email to yrchat at live.com. Whatever works for you works for me. I love hearing from you guys. And I'm going to be looking forward to next week's show. I will be back next Sunday to chat all about it. Ooh, it should be good. (laughs) So I will see you then. I love you guys. Bye.